The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. So my name is Dylan Baxter. Uh, I'm really honored to be able to be here this morning to share uh, the Word of God with Abner Creek Baptist Church. Uh, So for those of you who I don't know and that don't know me, I uh, grew up in Spartanburg, uh, in the bustling part of Spartanburg called Cowpens, and uh, went to North Greenville University, graduated from there in 2016. Uh, During my freshman and sophomore years at North Greenville, uh, I was a member here at Abner Creek and uh, served alongside Greg in the youth ministry, served alongside Matt in the youth ministry while I was here um, until in, uh, yeah, I guess in 2013, I went to be the youth pastor at Holly Ridge Baptist Church over in Simpsonville. Uh, And since then, I've moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm a student at Southern Seminary, uh, working on my Master of Divinity. Uh, Alongside Buddy is a fellow student at Southern that I helped recruit. I work in admissions at Southern Seminary. And uh, and since then, I've married Amy, uh, who's sitting here uh, as well with us this morning. So I'm honored to be here. Uh, It's uh, really exciting. to to be able to bring God's Word uh, at a church that's played such a role in my own life. Uh, So this morning, I want to start by asking you a question. And and the question I have for you is, what kind of faith do you have? Do you have a saving faith, or do you have a dead faith? And that's kind of the pervading question that we're going to be considering this morning as we're in uh, James. We're going to be in James chapter 2. And so, as you're turning to James 2, beginning at verse 14, I want you to be considering, what sort of faith do I have? Do I have a saving faith, or do I have a dead faith? And and while you're turning there, I, I just want to be really honest and straightforward with you. This is a difficult passage, right? Abner Creek is, is a gospel-saturated church. Uh, that's a great legacy to have, a great thing to be known for, to be a gospel-centered, gospel-saturated church. But sometimes, because of the right emphasis we have on the gospel, it, it makes passages like this confusing. So confusing that Uh, actually, that Martin Luther, who wrote A Mighty Fortress is Our God, wanted to throw out the book of James. He said that he didn't think that it was inspired because he didn't understand what was happening here. And I think you'll see why here in a second. So uh, let's read together then James 2, 14 through the end of the chapter. James writes, What use is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The the demons also believe and shudder. 
But are you willing to recognize, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Will you pray with me as we consider this passage this morning? Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be gathered together this morning to worship you through song and through word um, and through studying your word that you've given to us. Lord, we know that this passage is from you, and as it is from you, as maybe it's difficult for us to understand, but help us, help us to understand what you would have us uh, to do with this part of your word this morning. Uh, Through your Holy Spirit, Father, give us grace to understand, give us grace to obey what you call us to, and give us clarity to understand uh, what sort of faith we have this morning. Lord, uh, do this for your glory and our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I also realized that I didn't dismiss children to the uh, right-hand side of the sanctuary, so if you're still out there, feel free to be dismissed. Um, but so, I want, I want us to, to ask, what sort of faith you have? Do you have a dead faith, or do you have a saving faith? Right? I said that that is the question that we need to consider as we're working through this passage this morning. Uh, our passage is divided up into two main sections. Uh, the first one is f- verses 14 through uh, 17. And in verses 14 through 17... James puts it pretty squarely in our face, doesn't he? He says, What use is it if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? It's implied, obviously, that the answer is no. James uh, wants you to understand that if you say that you have faith but there are no works, that's a worthless faith. It's a dead faith. It's not a saving faith, right? Um, And when we talk about uh, this passage is difficult for a few reasons. First of all, uh, one of the main reasons that it's difficult is because James uses words in this passage that we use in other ways, right? So what do I mean by that? Uh, so if I said that up until two months ago when we got married, Amy and I were engaged, right? You understand that we're engaged and waiting to be married. But if I said Amy and I are engaged in conversation... That just means that we're talking to each other, right? So the word engaged, it can mean a couple of different things. Like that we're waiting to get married and counting down every second as it passes by. Or uh, that we're, uh, you know, just talking to each other. The same with the word leaves, right? Like you can say that such and such leaves the building. Or you could be talking about leaves out on the trees out here. right? So like uh, a word that's spelled the exact same way can have a bunch of different meanings. The word salvation is kind of like that, uh, to be saved. And um, 
what a lot of us think about when we talk about the word salvation is what throughout the Bible, uh, throughout the New Testament, throughout Paul's letters in particular, is called justification. So what a lot of us think of as salvation is like that point in time when you prayed a prayer, you repented of your sins, you put your faith in Jesus, right? It's pretty common throughout the South uh, to say, I got saved in 2010 on a retreat with the church, right? Um, that's what a lot of us, that's how a lot of us use that word saved. But James is using a fuller meaning of the word saved here. So salvation doesn't just mean that justification, that, that point in time where you put your trust in Jesus, but it's the full spectrum of us being saved from our sin, of us being made more like Jesus. So throughout the New Testament, there are three categories of this, at least three, uh, that we see. There's justification, which is that point in time, right, where you put your trust in Jesus. There's sanctification, which is the lifelong process of being made more like Jesus. And then there's glorification, when we die and go to be with the Lord and we're made perfectly like Jesus and our sin is no more and our salvation is complete. So James is talking about salvation in that fuller sense, talking about all three parts there. Um, so he's saying, will, will a faith that doesn't have works result in that sort of salvation? No. And then he gives us this example in verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what's necessary for their body, what use is that? So if Buddy comes to me, and because soccer shots has gone belly up, he, he is just trying to put food on the table for the family, he says, Dylan, things are hard, nobody's playing soccer anymore, I, you know, do you have any spare food that you can give to us? And I'm like, no, buddy, but you know what? Man, that's, that's real hard. So hope everything's good with y'all. Take care now, right? That's what James is saying. What good is it? Buddy is, is not only does, are we instructed to, to take care of other people, but Buddy's a fellow church member. And that's the idea that James is getting at here. If somebody comes to you from within the church and is in need and you don't meet their needs, well, what good is that? If your faith, James is saying, doesn't result in these works that at the base level move you to take care of other people in your own church, James is saying that you should question whether or not you actually have a real saving faith. And he says then in verse 17, so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And, and verse 17 is really the key verse, the key point of this whole passage that we're considering this morning, right? That faith without works is dead. So what does that mean? Does this mean that we're saved by our works? Well, in one sense, yeah, kind of it does. Now, I know before I get thrown off the stage here at Abner Creek, because we're all, we're very great, we're grace people around here at Abner Creek, and I'm very thankful for that. But we need to take the full counsel of God's word for what it says. And that's what James is saying here this morning. So what do we do with that? Well, I think uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
was a pastor in Germany who opposed Hitler uh, leading up to and during World War II. And in one of his books, he, talks, he has this, uh, this category of what he calls cheap grace. And we rightly emphasize grace, right? That there's nothing that we can do. We sang about it this morning. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's righteousness. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. It isn't something that's earned. It's a free gift of God, right? We all agree with that this morning? I, I hope we do. Um, it's something that's given to us freely when we trust and believe in Jesus. But Bonhoeffer recognized in Germany during his day and throughout the South in our day that a lot of people think, well, I prayed a prayer when I was seven years old and I was baptized, and so because of that, I'm good with God and I never have to do anything ever again. And if, if that, I mean, technically the attitude is, is right in a sense, Right? Like, if you genuinely repented of your sin and genuinely put your faith in Jesus, you are good with God, and nothing can ever remove that. But if your attitude is, I prayed a prayer, I was baptized, sure, I haven't been to church in 15 years, and I really don't care about God, I really don't care about the people of God, but I know that I'm not going to go to hell because I prayed a prayer when I was seven years old, then friends... What James is saying to, to that person this morning is that that faith is dead. That's not a saving faith. That's, that is a dead faith that will not result in your salvation. And so, as there was cheap grace in Bonhoeffer's day, there's cheap grace in our day. Right? When I was growing up, um, I grew up going to First Baptist Spartanburg downtown, and uh, one of my Sunday school teachers when I was in 10th grade talked about getting your fire insurance, right? That's kind of how she would mockingly refer to this. That a lot of people have this idea that if you trust in Jesus, well, now I've got my fire insurance. I'm not going to go to hell. And that's all that I really need at the end of the day. But if your motivation for following Jesus is that you won't go to hell, then you have the wrong motivation, you don't understand who God is. You don't understand who Jesus is. And that is the sort of thing that James would say is a dead faith. And then he moves in. Uh, in verse 18, he anticipates this uh, cheap grace objection, right? So he says, someone may well say, you have faith, James, or you have, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the, without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So James is anticipating an objection from the person in the pew, the person who uh, believes in Jesus through cheap grace, right? It's like, well, J James, I have my fire insurance. I believe in Jesus. And James says, well, if you can show me your faith apart from works, then fine. But stop and think about it for a second. How do you demonstrate faith? Well, you might say, I believe in Jesus deep down in my heart because I prayed a prayer when I was six. And to that, James says, well and good, great. I'm going to show you my faith demonstrated through my works, 
right? When Buddy came to my house, I gave him food. I didn't turn him away and say, peace be with you, Buddy. Hope things go well with soccer shots from now on, right? No, James says, show me your faith apart from works, and when you realize you can't, I will show you my faith by my works. That person might then say, well, I believe in God, to which James says, good, that's great. So do the demons. The demons also believe in God, and that isn't resulting in their salvation, right? I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about that for a second, but mere intellectual belief is not going to result in your salvation. A lot of people believe in God. A lot of people believe in Jesus the same sort of way that I and you probably believe that George Washington was the first president, right? Like, I, I've been told that George Washington was the first president. I've never really done a whole lot of research into it. I, I assume it's true. I don't have a whole lot invested in that, to be completely honest with you. If, if it came out that George Washington wasn't the first president, I mean, sure, that'd be big news, but I'd get over it pretty fast, I'm sure, right? Like, after a couple of news cycles, it wouldn't mean much to me anymore. It's like, oh, John Adams was the first president. Well, that's weird, but okay, I can live in this new America, right? And that's, a, that's the sort of attitude that a lot of people have with Jesus. It's Jesus isn't their God. He isn't their Lord. He's the person that's rescuing them from hell, and at the end of the day, they live their life like a functional atheist. And what I mean by that is, if you took church out of the equation, you took, uh, you took God out of the equation, and you said, do you believe in Jesus? Today they say yes, tomorrow they say no. The only difference in their life is whether or not they quote-unquote believe in Jesus. But their actual day-to-day life doesn't change. The way that they interact with their neighbor doesn't change. The way that they feed or don't feed Buddy when he comes over doesn't change, right? This sort of person that James is talking about is the sort of person that says, yeah, I believe, but that belief doesn't result in any sort of life transformation. And so uh, Jesus has something to say about this as well. In uh, John 14, verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. So you see what Jesus is saying here? How do we know that we believe in Jesus? Well, according to Jesus, the way that you know you believe in Jesus is that you do the sort of things that Jesus does. You obey Jesus' teaching. Elsewhere, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that those who love him keep his commandments. So if you love Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, it's going to result in a life that looks like Jesus. In a life where if Buddy or someone else, because I've picked on Buddy several times now, right, needs to be... Uh, needs you to intercede in their life and meet their immediate needs, you would do it if you're able to do it. That you care about people, that you pray about people, that you seek to keep the the first and second commandments, that you uh, love God and that you love others. And sure, James doesn't expect people to do this perfectly, right? 
Elsewhere in the book of James, he says that we stumble in many ways, himself included. But the mark of genuine conversion, the mark of a genuine disciple and follower of Jesus is one who has been transformed, who loves God, who loves those that God has created, and is concerned for them. So do you love God? How do you know? Well, James has given us a litmus test here this morning. If you love God, it's going to result in a transformed life. If you love God, it's going to result in love for others. Do you pray for people? Like regularly? This is something that, honestly, I'm not great at myself. I'm not... uh, great at regularly, uh, continually praying for those that I know that don't know Jesus. And what greater thing could we pray for than for our lost friends and family members to know Jesus? And so James is arguing here this morning that genuine faith produces works. And if it has no works, it's dead. And that mere belief in Jesus Mere intellectually saying, yeah, sure, yeah, Jesus, he lived, he died, he rose again, that that doesn't cut it. And then he gives us a few examples. He says, okay, you believe God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Then in verse 20, he says, are you willing to recognize, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. And so that particular verse is where this passage becomes really difficult, right? Uh, Because in Romans chapter 4, Paul writes, What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So what do we do with this? Right In Romans, we have Paul saying that Abraham is justified not by works. And in James, James is saying Abraham was justified by works. The atheists win. The Bible's filled with contradictions. Well, no, that's, that's not what we do here, right? We don't just throw our hands up. We, we recognize that the Bible is God's inspired word and that if we don't understand it, the problem isn't with the Bible. The problem is with us and that we need to dig a little bit deeper. And so just like I was saying earlier about how uh, Amy and I were engaged and then on our way here this morning, we were engaged in conversation, right? That words, the same word can have multiple meanings. This word justified is one of those sort of words that has a few different meanings, And so uh, the way that Paul is using justified is kind of what I was talking about earlier uh, with salvation. It's the same way that a lot of people would say, yeah, I got saved, right? That's what Paul means by justified, that you got saved. Um, it's It's a moment in time that Abraham was justified 
by God. Uh, he was not justified by works. He was justified through his faith, right? And so what Paul goes on to say in Romans 4 is that that, that justification that he's talking about there is that God recognized Abraham as righteous based on what Jesus had done, based on Jesus' righteousness. But that's not the way that James is using the word justification or justified here. The way that James is using it is more like, um, like you're justified in what you do, right? That's a pretty common way that we use the word justify, uh, that... Um, uh, you're shown to be right, something's shown to be true, right? That's what the word justify can also mean and the way that we typically use it. Um, so with Abraham then, James wants us to see that the works are the evidence of the sort of justification that Paul is talking about. Are you following me? That Abraham's works are the proof that Abraham actually has a saving faith. So if you're not familiar with the story, in Genesis 22, God uh, has finally delivered on this promise to Abraham that he's going to give him his own son and that from that son uh, is going to come many nations and eventually from that son will come the Messiah. And it's this big deal all through uh, the first several chapters of Genesis. And he waits and he waits and he waits and no son. And finally, Abraham and his wife have a son. Uh, And it's a miraculous birth, right? Later in Romans 4, Paul says that Abraham was nearly 100 years old and as good as dead, right? He's like, you're 100 Normally, 100-year-olds aren't having kids. He was as good as dead, right? Paul says that. So that's how we know that it was miraculous because Abraham was as good as dead. But anyway, so in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham, uh, he tells him to take his son Isaac to a place where he'll show him, bind him, and sacrifice him. So Abraham obeys. He takes Isaac, and Isaac asks Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, in faith, believes that God would provide a sacrifice. He tells Isaac, God will provide, right? And in the moment that Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, the angel of the Lord stops him, says, Abraham, don't do it. Stop. And God provided another sacrifice. But later we see in the book of Hebrews that Abraham thought and reckoned to himself that maybe, maybe God, does, you know, God has instructed me to do this. God gave me the son of the promise. God has shown himself to be faithful. If God is going to have me to kill Isaac, that he's going to bring him back from the dead, right? That's, that was Abraham's logic. But the point is that Abraham believed God. And how do we know that he believed God? Because he was obedient to what God had called him to do. The second example that James gives us is uh, with Rahab. Verse 25 says, 
In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So this is uh, what James is referencing here took place in Joshua chapter 2. And I want to read a, a little section of that passage for you this morning because I don't think oftentimes we recognize that... Uh, Rahab had this sort of saving faith, but Joshua makes it explicit. So starting in Joshua 2, verse 8, it says, Now when they lay down, uh, so for context, Joshua has taken over from Moses. They're going into the land. They're spying out uh, the land. And so there's two spies. They've come uh, into Rahab's house. Verse 8, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof, she being Rahab, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. So just stop for a second. Rahab is uh, not, she wasn't one of the people of Israel. She uh, was an outsider from the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And she says here, I know the Lord has given you the land. And terror has from you has fallen on all of us, and all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, Our hearts melted away, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you, the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And so James gives us this example of Rahab, who believes in God. She believes in uh, the one true living God, because she's heard what this God has done, how he saved his people out of Egypt and led them through the wilderness, and now they're here. And so she protects these spies who were in the city when the king's men come looking for them. And that's what James is referring to here, that she believed, she professed her belief, but then her belief was demonstrated through her actions of sheltering these people that came from Israel. And so he he concludes then in verse 26, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I remember uh, a few months ago, I went to a funeral visitation, and uh, it's always always difficult, right, going to a funeral visitation, um, because you want to to comfort those who have lost loved ones. You want to... And sometimes, right, just the best thing you can do is be there for them and give them a hug and and pray for them while you're there, and make yourself available. But it's always hard. Um, And in the same way that as the body that's laying in the casket, as without its spirit, right, its spirit has left, James says here, in the same way that it's laying there dead, so too, he says, faith without works is dead. And so... 
Paul says that we're not justified, that Abraham wasn't justified by faith. Ephesians 2 says that by grace you are saved and not by works so that no one may boast. But then in Ephesians 2, it goes on that you were saved to works. In Ephesians 2.11, it says that we were, the purposes of our salvation, right, that Paul's getting at there, is that we would be transformed and changed and made like Jesus and go out and share the gospel. We would go out and meet the needs of those who need their needs met. And what does James say is pure religion in the sight of God? Well, in 127, he says that it's this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And so this morning, I just want to leave you with the question one more time. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have a saving faith that's evidenced Sure, it's going to be imperfect, right? Uh, but is evidenced by a genuine love for the Lord and is evidenced by uh, a genuine love for your neighbor that results in praying for them, that results in meeting their needs, that results in uh, discipling people? Are there works? Does your faith produce works? If there are no works, my friend, then this morning I would ask you to pray and consider and think through how do you know that you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation? Because if the Holy Spirit indwells you, he is not going to leave you unchanged. He's going to change you. He's going to make you more like Jesus. Because faith without works is dead. And so as we move into our time of response this morning and our invitation, um, I'm going to be down front here. Uh, Matt will join me as well here in a moment. Uh, so if you would like to pray or if you just want someone to talk to, uh, I'm happy to pray with you. Matt's happy to pray with you. But uh, the Word of God always calls us to respond. And that doesn't necessarily mean down here. It can be in your seat. But if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart this morning and you recognize that you have never truly trusted in Jesus for your salvation, we would love to talk with you about that. Um, but otherwise, uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer and then we'll go into our time of invitation. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And uh, we thank you, God, that we have a way to know that we are in your love, that according to you, that according to your word, that true faith will result in works. It will result in a transformed heart, a transformed life, a life that loves you and loves others. So God, I pray by your grace and by your Holy Spirit that uh, you would give us clarity to understand where we stand with you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.